name is Fiona Zeiger and you're listening to The Migration Podcast. According to the International Labour Organization, approximately 40 million people worldwide are in modern slavery, including almost 25 million in forced labour in 2016. One in four victims are exploited outside their country of residence, pointing at the vulnerability of migrant workers. The Asia-Pacific region has the highest share of victims across all forms of modern slavery. To combat the problem, civil society organizations and authorities in Thailand are now supported by an app which allows first-line responders to better identify victims of human trafficking and labor exploitation. The development of this app, called a prize, was headed by Hannah Tinyane, a computer scientist at UNU Macau with a background in ICT for development. In this episode, I speak to Hannah about the project that led to the making of a prize and how the app has been received. Yeah, thank you, Hannah, for joining us on the Migration Podcast. We'll be talking about the research you've conducted over the past two years and an app you've developed called Apprise. You are a computer scientist by training and over these past few years you've been working with an interdisciplinary team to create this app um, which helps first-line practitioners identify and report instances of uh, labor exploitation and human trafficking. And I was wondering, could you tell us more about the project and or how did you actually end up working on issues of labor and migration? Um, so as you said, I'm a computer scientist, um, but I've actually been working in the field of ICT for development for the past 15 years. So this is really applied computing. Um, and in this case, I'm looking at using tech for sustainable development. Um, I moved to this position in at UNU in Macau in 2016 and was in the fortunate position of starting a new research area. I was told I could research anything that I wanted. Um, I've always been concerned with injustice and exploitation, um, but I also understood that I really lacked an experience in this space. Um, so when I very first started this research project, I started with a landscape analysis to understand what's been going on in the field. Um, and when I started reading the stats about, say, 24.9 million people in situations of forced labor and human trafficking, and every year, people only being able to identify 100,000 victims, like that's in a good year. It really told me something was wrong with the current practices of victim identification. So understanding that I didn't really understand the field, um, I organized a consultation series with a number of different stakeholders, um, and I situated the work in Thailand. So broadly, I call all these people frontline responders, but anyone whose job it is to assess the labor conditions of other people and then act on, on this information. So I met with um, NGOs, uh, kind of like the federal police in Thailand, labor inspectors, international um, government organizations, as well as survivors of trafficking and shelters themselves, because I wanted to understand from them in the field how they identify victims and what went wrong, and if there was a role for technology to support them in identifying victims better. So through this work, I really found that initial screening seemed to be the the place where we could make a good impact. And across each of the different um, interviews I did with the different stakeholders, people talked about problems with communication, 
because say migrant workers they all speak different languages and problems with training to understand what exploitation looks like and problems with trust because when you're exploited you don't know who to trust um, and problems with privacy because initial screening interviews happen in the fields and often in front of um, exploiters themselves so Cutting a, a long story short, we co-developed this system called Apprise um, with frontline responders um, using um, a cyclic evaluation technique where we'd make some kind of a prototype, we'd go and test it with them in the field and get their feedback um, quickly so that we could then make a new um, prototype to go back to them and just really understand that the system we were developing was based on their perception of the problem rather than mine as an outsider in the field. Could you tell us more about how Apprise works and who will be making use of it? Apprise works with predefined list of questions um, and they're based on the current practices of labour exploitation. We know labour exploitation is different in different sectors of work. So if you're working in a fishing vessel, for example, I'm going to exploit you in different ways to if you were a, a sex worker. Um, so we have these um, lists of questions and um, we have them translated into different languages because again, we know that migrant worker populations are different in different sectors of work. And so um, each list is translated into the common languages for workers in that sector. And, um, and so we have our app our prizes installed on the frontline responders mobile phone and then they use it to interview workers who they come across. So if I'm a frontline responder, I would select a list, say maybe um, fishing, and I would find a worker who was in front of me and I would give them my phone as well as a set of headphones and allow them to select their language from the list. And everything's done in audio questions so that no one can oversee what's um, going on on the screen. And also, um, if you have headphones, then no one can hear what's going on as well. So um, after selecting the language, a little intro video plays to tell the migrant worker um, kind of like the purpose of the interview um, to demonstrate how the system works and then to ask for consent to continue with the interview. Once consent is given, it goes through a series of yes or no worded questions, um, which are aligned to the ILO indicators of forced labour. At the end of the question list, it um, asks if the worker wants help to lead the situation. Um, and then it does a vulnerability calculation um, to assess the vulnerability of the situation. And it provides information back to the worker. So it might say, it seems like you're in a vulnerable situation, but you said you want to stay in this situation. Are you sure you want to stay? And then again, the worker has a chance to respond and decide if, given the severity of the situation that they're in, if they do still want to stay or leave. And then it presents a summary of the findings of the interview to the, work, um, to the frontline responder to inform their um, next steps, basically. Okay, so the questions are actually audio questions that the person listens to through their headphones. Um, and, and that's because, sorry, <laughs> that's because yeah. there's so big um, problems with literacy levels in the field with the workers that we've, we've spoken to. And also it allows us to make sure that the screen itself has nothing on it that can be overseen. So if I wanted to write something down, someone else might see that. 
if I have audio with headphones, then no one can see what's going on. Yes, yeah, that's what I was wondering after our first conversation. Then I was just thinking back and I thought, yeah, but literacy might actually be a bit of a problem in that field for some people. And also, if you always have eyes everywhere watching what you do, then maybe it would also be dangerous to play around with a questionnaire about your work situation. Yeah, we also use positively and negatively worded questions. So yes doesn't always mean danger, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and then we can switch questions around. So I call them equivalents. So I might ask you if you have access to your ID documents. Mm -hmm. um, and if you say no, well, then I would ask you further questions about that. The next time someone does an interview, I might say, has someone kept your ID document from you? Mm -hmm. um, so that um, no one can learn the order of the questions. Mm -hmm. um, because that's one of the big fears with initial screening as well, that people will be taught how to respond to, mm -hmm. to these kind of interviews. Mm. So I was just wondering how many iterations of the app were there before you actually arrived at the final product? So over a period of year, I guess every two months we had a new iteration and this wasn't something that was released and um, we kind of very much cuddled or babied the app as we were developing it and um, so we'd go to Thailand to work with the different NGOs who were partnering with us to see how they used it in their outreach activities and to get feedback from the different workers that they interviewed on how the interface worked, if they understood the purpose, if the introduction video gave them enough information to um, to use the system by themselves. And we went through, yeah, I would say six iterations before we released our first um, official version. Um, and then since then we've done, been doing minor upgrades as, as requested by the different groups that we work with. Okay. Now, I was also wondering why develop an app over a different tool? What is the advantage of an app? Mm -hmm. um, so that was really based on our initial consultation with the different frontline responders. And um, we started off asking that same question, like what do, if, if they have these problems that they had identified, those communication, privacy, training and trust, how they thought technology could help them overcome them. And um, so with privacy, people were like, well, why don't we make networks of webcams <laughs> or like Big Brother? <laughs> and I was like, you don't want to do that actually. And other people talked about with um, problems with trust. They said, what if we um, have a portable lie detector um, and we try and make this kind of thing? No, I really didn't want to be involved in that one either. Um, and other people, and most of the people actually said, look, we just want the Google Translate that actually works with voice to voice and helps us to um, just communicate with people who speak different languages. And that's a great idea, but practically it's hard to solve. So we understood that communication was the barrier that we wanted to um, prioritize. And then after talking to the different stakeholders to see, for example, who had access to technology, um, it, we found out that frontline responders were the ones who definitely did have access. Um, we talked to lots of different NGOs about other solutions, so like hotlines and helplines and things like that. And a number of them talked to us about how they have hotlines um, and a problem that exists is if the, if the 
potential victim is not right in front of you, you can get into the situation that, say, a worker calls in, and both the NGO and the worker through a conversation realize the worker's in a very vulnerable situation, but they don't know how to locate each other. And so now it hasn't, this, this use of technology hasn't supported either the NGO or the worker because now they are in a more vulnerable, even if it's just emotionally vulnerable, um, position than before the interaction. Um, so really through this brainstorming process, we realized we need to first of all target some kind of solution for frontline responders. And we um, wanted to target in-person communication. Um, and that's how we got to an app. One of the central questions that this podcast is also built around, which is who is involved in people's migration. And in this particular project, it's very obvious that you've involved a lot of different stakeholders to get to the production um, and release of this, this app. So I was just wondering, how has the uptake and the feedback been thus far from the people involved? In, in the conception of the project and also the intended user base? Yeah, so um, we've had some really good feedback and uptake from different communities. So if I start with NGOs first, um, a number of different groups who we've worked with in Thailand are using a prize in their outreach activities. Um, with NGOs, what we find is it really helps them because they often have big volunteer populations who come, um, say, on the weekends and want to help out, but really don't know anything about labor exploitation and forced labor and human trafficking. Um, but if they have this app and install it on their phone, then the outreach team can go out to whatever, like the local noodle bars or whatever it is, and interview people um, there. And then because there's a vulnerability calculation, it, it performs a triage of cases um, and they can um, refer vulnerable cases to the highly trained case management team. Um, from We've also worked with the Ministry of Labor and the Royal Thai Navy um, in their port out Port in, port out inspection centers. Um, and so they have um, piloted the system to help in their initial screening of workers for signs of exploitation as well. Um, and that pilot is always a, a bit more complicated because on a government level, they're not as quick to respond as NGOs. Um, and then the other um, kind of group that we've worked with um, and have probably the most traction with is multinational corporations who are using a prize in their own audits of their own supply chains. So these guys um, move very, very quickly and um, are using have been using a prize since, I guess, um, beginning of 2019, if I have my calculations correct. Yes, um, 2019. Um, so they assess the working conditions in their own supply chains using a prize audit in this case. So you had also interest from, from private businesses now that want to use this to secure their supply chain. Yeah, to understand their supply chains and help them in their own on-site investigation. Okay. Did your uh, did the frontline respondents also indeed witness an increase in spotted cases? Did the app have the desired effect? So, um, 
perhaps I can't tell you the the result <laughs> of the interviews, but I can say it helps. Um, the different groups that we've worked with have said that it helps them in their initial screening to be able to identify information and obtain information from workers that they would not otherwise be able to obtain. So, for example, auditors have told us time and time again that if they ever ask about um, physical or sexual abuse of people in supply chains, people will not even answer the question. Um, but the auditors themselves have said that they are amazed how happy um, different workers have been to respond to questions and allow them to um, resolve um, issues that they would not otherwise be able to resolve because they haven't been told about the, the problem. Thank you so much, Hannah, for this, for this really, really interesting interview and talking about this app, the tool you've developed. I think lots of people will be happy to listen to the interview and will be really interested in, in what you've created. Cool. Well, thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> Dr. Hannah Tiniane is a Principal Research Fellow at the United Nations University Institute in Macau. If you would like to know more about Hannah and the prize, check out the links in the description.